here with Mark Sikra, who you might know as Money Hammer, or you might know him from the Chicago area, having your uh, finances looked at. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. This will be like, good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so my usual intro question that I start with is basically just, uh, how do you uh, factor coffee into your life? Do you drink coffee at all? Um, what does coffee mean to you? Uh, if you don't like coffee, is there a different stimulating beverage that you like? Uh, uh, I, I am a I am a heavy user of coffee, and I, I think I'd say I, I'm I'm a non I'm a non discriminating user of coffee, which is not to say that I don't like good coffee or that I don't know what's good coffee and what's bad coffee, but I don't care whether my coffee is good or bad. I think there's a place for all kinds of coffee, um, but I do I do love good coffee, and yeah, Chicago has some great. Uh, uh, coffee places we got intelligentsia and metropolis and uh dark matter here so there is good coffee here uh for christmas my wife got me a uh a proper pour over pot which i've never had and I, i'm really surprised how much of a difference that makes i, I really can convince myself my coffee is a lot better now that i'm getting my water at the right temperature so yeah love coffee big coffee what's your uh, what's your favorite chicago shop uh, it's probably still Intelligentsia, even though they've, they've been around a bit longer than some of the other places. But mm -hmm. yeah, if, if you asked me to pick one, I, I would still go to Intelligentsia. Every so often, they'll even they're, they're just their regular espresso is great. And every so often, they'll come up with something that's just from another planet. It's, it's just incredible. Uh, I still love them. Yeah. Is uh, Monadnock your go-to? or uh, I'm not that familiar with the Chicago Intellis, but uh, I'm familiar with Intelli, definitely. Sure, yeah. The... the, the, the uh, Flagship one is still, it's on Randall Street. It's kind of close to Millennium Park. Uh, that's, that's the one where I, I, think they, you, you, I think they do a little bit better job there than at some of the other shops. But uh, yeah, I mean, anywhere you go to get intelligence in the city, it's, it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like we have very similar uh, perspectives on coffee. You know, I, I very much enjoy delicious coffee, but I... I found myself talking to some of my coffee coworkers and telling them that they needed to appreciate all coffees. And, you know, it's an anthropological experience, I think, to have bad coffee. But anyway, uh, let's talk about some uh, Money Hammer stuff. So Money Hammer is your project uh, that is brutal death metal that instructs uh, listeners on personal finance. And this is, like, part, like, hilarious to me, part just, like, super clever and interesting. And I feel like somebody or other has to call it meta at some point, uh, but how did this come about? Well, thank you for saying it's interesting. Um, I, I, the most honest answer to where it came from is, I've, I've always, I've, I've been a metal head for ever since I was a kid and I've been in metal bands for the last 15, 20 years or so. And uh, I've always wanted to do the like bedroom death metal thing, the like one man death metal project thing, but it, it's kind of hard to, to motivate yourself to do that uh unless I mean, there's so many people trying to do that it's really hard to convince yourself that you could do better than a lot of other people who do that kind of thing so i was like well what 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 would what would make it doing that worthwhile like how could i do that uh in some way that no one else could and i just i, I think kind of joking myself like it's like well if i made it about like personal finance or something that would be special i'm like well, wait a minute like why couldn't i do that i actually i actually could go and do that um, and so I did. Uh, so th that's the true, honest answer to where it came from. Yeah, if, if you wanted to to uh, reflect on it, and you, you, you could come up with things that it is a commentary on. Like, I, I think that, that where it came from is a commentary on the state of metal, that um, there are so many metal bands and there's so many micro genres that it's, it's really hard to find 
your special niche and the, the the absurdity of death metal about personal finance is, is a commentary on how niche a lot of metal has gotten. Yeah. And I think going the other way, like yeah, in in looking at like yeah, before I started to do, I started to look at like a lot of like personal finance people on YouTube and personal finance podcasts and like personal finance Instagram accounts. And like, like I had a real distaste for a lot of them. Like they all kind of have the same like vibe and aesthetic and like, like none, none of them are really having a lot of fun. It seems to me, they're all kind of like dour people and, and they're, and they're all kind of like scold type uh, people where rather than just give advice about money, they seek to give advice about your life. And yeah, you could see, you could say that money hammer is a commentary on that. Like, what, what would it be like if, if someone were to talk about personal finance and not be that kind of person? Uh, you might get something like death metal about personal finance. But yeah, the true answer is I, I was I was trying to just come up with something to do, and that's what I came up with. I'm curious uh, if in any if in your travels of like you know going to metal shows and uh, being in the metal scene, is there any person or any band that you feel like you've been like oh they understand finances like they're financially enlightened i i think i mean you you to be a successful metal band in in the present day like requires like a like a discipline around the way you manage money. like the, the band that I, I know do this very well are periphery um they're very they're very business savvy like they've all come up with projects outside of being in the band to keep incoming even in the year like 2020 when there wasn't much money from touring and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think some of the more successful bands in, in, in metal are, are yeah, especially, especially today, like a band that would come up today, like you have to be pretty uh, savvy and pretty crafty with how you handle money to have a chance of making it just because the income from the actual music is, uh, low and inconsistent so you have to be thoughtful around that yeah uh the, yeah I, I think that if it would probably surprise a lot of non-metal people to to know how well a metal band has to do with money in order yeah. to, to make it yeah um yeah i guess i'm, I'm curious uh to just talk about some money stuff um i, I was you know, watching this interview with Vitalik Buterin and he was asked the question of what is money? And so uh, to just give you a sort of philosophical, vague question, uh, or I mean, a broad question, what what would you say money is? No, it's, it's, it's a great question. I, I think it's something that people don't think about enough. Uh, yeah, as, as money becomes increasingly less material and as, as things like cryptocurrency become very common. Uh, the, the definition that I use for myself um, and so it's probably someone who knows more than me would probably find something wrong with it. But uh, money is a tool that transfers value uh, through space and time. And what I mean by, yeah, you, you think of how money came to be. Like before money, you had to barter. And so if I have seeds and I want like, the skin of an animal, I got to find someone who has the skin of an animal and wants seeds. Um, so what money does is allow like an intermediate step there. So instead of finding that person, I can just uh, find someone to give me the money for it and I can take the money and uh, take it to that other person. And, then, and so what, it, what is that? I, I describe that as a transfer of value through space and time. Like I've never, you, 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 you don't need to be in contact with the end person and you don't need to have that contact immediately. Um, so that, that's my working definition of uh, what money is. Um, 
yeah, and people, I, I haven't read it yet, but everyone who reads that book, Sapiens, uh, freaks out about it. With, and, uh, uh, Harari? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think he, he makes the point that money is one of the many like uh, shared fictions that, that uh, societies uh, create for themselves. It's, yeah, we, we've taken things that don't have value like sheets of paper or, or even, yeah, even, even just like informational, even just pieces of information, it's not even uh, material anymore. And we assign it value and we, we sort of agree like, yep, that's, we're, we're gonna do that and society is going to work based on that. And yeah, if you, if you just step back and then think how how wild it is that that we can do that, uh, yeah, it, it's 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 mind blowing. Uh, I feel like the artist, and maybe particularly in metal, there's like a, an aversion to money, or sort of like this uh, attitude where like maybe if you have it, like you're like not seen as like doing the right thing. It reminds me of being you know in like middle school, and uh, you know you get a good grade on something, and there's some kid that wants to make fun of you for doing well. Uh, what, what do you think the attitude is there? Like, uh, what do you think the aversion to, uh, I guess, having your shit together is? Yeah, and the, one of the better people who comment on this is the is Finn McKenty, who runs the punk rock MBA uh, YouTube channel. Um, he, 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 he's observed the same thing. Um, I, I, I think it's just just uh, broad anti-establishmentarianism. It, yeah, it, yeah, money money is a thing associated with whatever the, the man or with institutions or with mm -hmm. uh, or, or orderly conduct in society and so without without really thinking about it uh have an attitude against it um, which is not yeah which is not to say that uh money can't cause problems but yeah yes yeah, as far as a, a, a non-critical non-thoughtful attitude against money yeah i think it's just uh just just being contrarian for the sake of being contrarian, which is pretty metal which is it's definitely metal whether or not it's a good idea is is another thing but uh, yeah, it's, it's probably where that comes from. Cool. Um, so uh, I see on your Twitter that you're a CFA and uh, I also saw actuary somewhere. I'm curious uh, for the layperson, how does this sort of break down? Like how's that different from an economist and a quant? These are all terms that are thrown around that uh, sort of, I don't know the specifics so. of. No. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I don't strictly work in like managing money. I, I, I yeah, to, I actually never have worked in like straight up like taking people's money and investing it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I work as an actuary. I, I and so generally actuaries do all kinds of uh, like risk management calculations, and so that's that's the role I have had in uh, with, with relation to investments. I would do like risk management uh, calculations around like, well, if if uh, we're doing this and if our we're invested this much in this and this much in this, like how bad could things go wrong? Like, are we okay with that being how bad things could go wrong? But uh, yeah, I actually don't do that for investment at the moment. I do it for insurance. So I like set prices for commercial insurance policies. So yeah, like like your big company that has like a workers' compensation uh, policy or that has like insurance to cover itself if it gets sued. Um, I set the prices for that. Um, so So that's what I do. Um, yeah, the, the role of like quanti stuff in investment management, yeah, it, it all gets like really complicated. So like when you say the word quant, it could it could mean all kinds of things. It, it could mean someone doing the kinds of stuff that I do. I think it usually more means someone who is uh, using some kind of formula or mathematical model 
um, to take some view of like when things should be invested in and do it in some way. So yeah, it could be a, a, a company that says like, uh, if if the price of a of, I don't know, let's say gold or something like, if the price of gold deviates from this and this is set by some formula, like we'll look at this and this and this and this and this, and if that if the price of gold deviates by like that much more, then it's definitely it's definitely underpriced and we should buy it and we should buy this much and like doing that like dozens or hundreds or thousands of times across some complicated portfolio or something like that. Like that's the kind of work that a quant would do. Like yeah, whether yeah, whether it's like just the math behind it or the, the computer programming behind it. Um and yeah, like yeah, uh, uh, yeah, other other yeah, an economist like might end up being a quant if they're especially talented with the the math part of economics and with the computer programming part of economics. Or an economist might just be someone who like theorizes about the kinds of things that you would want to put in those mathematical models. Um, yeah, there, there, there's there's a lot of different roles in in uh, doing money stuff and investment stuff. Uh, yeah, so and some, and some are a lot more complicated than others. So I, I I'm really into math, but I'm more of like a, a mathematical fetishist, and I, I'm not particularly good with math. But uh, uh, what type of tools are you using? Like what type of techniques? I, I'm familiar with like Monte Carlo simulations. Is that something you use? That's way more complicated than anything I have to do like on a daily basis. Like th that's the kind of thing that I had to learn about. And, like if someone said, "Hey, you got to do a project where you have to do that," I could figure out how to do it. But I definitely don't have to do anything that complicated. Gotcha. on a daily basis um yeah I, i'm doing much simpler stuff like using spreadsheets in microsoft excel and just coming up with very simple models where if we say that this thing is if we assume this and this and this and this then here's what our the price for an insurance policy is um and I th I, yeah i think like yeah that the, the, it's it, it's hard because like the a kind of person who would be really successful in like certain pockets of investment or in finance, like would have a lot of these skills, like would be like really good at the math part of it, but also be like really good people and really good at selling. And like, it's it's really hard to be good at a lot of these things at once. And like the kind, the, the, the kind of person who's good at one thing is usually not the kind of person who's good at another thing. So, uh, so yeah, but yeah, so the, 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 the work that I do is not that, crazily it's it's kind of funny that like um the sometimes like the more like yeah if the more like big company stuff you go like um you would think that if you're writing an insurance policy for like a really big airline like a really big uh like finance company or a really big hospital or something like that you'd want to use like super super complicated math it sometimes goes the other way where uh because the thing is like so unique, uh, you don't have enough information to do the like really complicated math. So you end up having to do very simple math. Um, it's kind of funny how, how that works sometimes. Um, so uh, can you sort of paint a picture of what culturally like the scene looks like? Uh, my sister worked for Aon and she did some like, not quite actuary stuff, but she was like in that world a little bit. and. Uh, it's funny to imagine somebody that's into metal. Um, she has like a, she had a coworker that did like financial raps and stuff, and she was always a little bit embarrassed by him, I think. But uh, <laughs> I'm just curious what the culture looks like in that scene. Yeah, uh, with, without trying to sound uh, snobby or like I'm putting down uh, people who do it, but, but no, it is it is not 
the norm to be <laughs> to do to be into weird fun stuff if you work in what I do. Um, that that being said, I, th I think a lot of people who end up and this is probably more true of like insurance stuff where I work than like a lot of the rest of the finance world. Like um, a lot of people who work in insurance are people who like tried something else and stopped doing it. And so just needed a job and started doing that. Um, and so, yeah, you, there, there, I, I work with people who happen to be like ex-theater people or uh, people who would used to, other, I, I do work with other people who used to play in bands and uh, that didn't, and, and they were maybe going to try and do that for a living and that didn't work out. Um, so I think insurance has a lot of people who just tried to do another thing and, and end up uh, in insurance. But um, no, I, I think yeah, in general, like uh, there there are a lot of just kind of very uh, the, the 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 connection to things like art and literature and music uh, for people in the in in business professions like is is a lot lower than than I wish it were, which is a shame because like I, I think a lot of uh, very like, like figurehead type people in finance were very much connected to the art. So I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Benjamin Graham. He, he was a guy who used to he used to mentor Warren Buffett, um, and he wrote a very famous book on uh, how to how to select stocks. Um, when you read his writing, he like he's he'll quote Shakespeare and he'll like refer to classical texts, and he was just clearly like someone who knew a lot about finance, knew a lot about business, but but had a, had a love for literature. And it's just, it just fills his writing and just fills the way he's like thinking about the world. And um, yeah, it, 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 I think, a lot, I, think we're, I think America's educational system does a disservice by like trying to track people very much into one or another thing. Like if you're an arts person, you can't be in the business or if you're a business person, you shouldn't waste your time on art or something like that. I think part of the role of education used to be to make you just like a good, interesting person. Um, mm -hmm. And that just helps you, that whatever you're doing, that just helps you be more thoughtful and be more just and moral and, and uh, fair. And uh, I, I think we, we lost that. So yeah, I, I, I do wish that the business world uh, thought more about the arts and literature and music than it does, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, to get one of these name drops in, uh, since you sort of bringing up like this like Renaissance uh, type of attitude, uh, it makes me think of Nassim Taleb, and I'm curious if uh, his writing and his work does anything for you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm familiar with Nassim Taleb. The, yeah, the the concept. I've, I've never read Black Swan, but the concept of the Black Swan, like for people who do what I do, like we'll just use that term uh, largely because Taleb popularized it. Um, to, to talk about like an improbable event that like we're not thinking of. Um, I, I think more about anti-fragile than I do about Black Swan. Um, uh, and I think, I think the idea of anti-fragile gets into like my, the, the kinds of things I promote uh, doing uh, in, in uh, Money Hammer, where yeah, you'll, you'll hear a lot of people say like, you know, if you just keep, if you're just holding on to money or if you're just investing money in the bank, that's a total waste of money. And he has, so he has, has this concept of anti-fragility where something like uh, cash is what he calls anti-fragile, which is, it's a thing that all of a sudden becomes really useful when things go really wrong. So yeah, like you, you're t going and telling a normal person to not 
hold on to their cash and instead buy a rental property because that's like making your money work for you or something like that, which is what you'll see in like weird finance Instagram accounts and stuff. Um, it's it's the, the problem with that is if anything goes really wrong, you're not going to be able to sell that rental property and get that money out if you need it. Whereas if you've just got money lying around, like you can, that's something that you can use, like if you lose your job and to buy food and something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think Nassim Taleb is a good like corrective to a lot of like YOLO finance attitudes that you'll see, um, especially like these days with like Robinhood trading and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, deeply respect Nassim Taleb. And, yeah, appreciate uh, how we've made a lot of these concepts just part of uh, just common vocabulary and common culture, yeah. It seems like people have such an aversion to his sort of like uh, uh, you know, personality type, but I, I get a kick out of it. Like his books are so uh, so funny to me. I just love the intellectual yet idiot type thing. Uh, yeah. But so, so so he has he has this other edit. I can't remember where he wrote it, but he did another thing I really like where he, he, he talks about like keeping books. So I, I have a lot, I have way more books than I need. I like I, I have more books than I could read, and like. And a lot of people think that that's stupid. They're like, yeah, we, especially when all that Marie Kondo stuff was popular, like a year ago, people were getting rid of all their books. And, oh, it's just taking much better. And he was like, well, no, like the, the purpose of all those books on your bookshelf is to remind you how much you don't know. Like the fact that you haven't read all those books is, should remind you, like, you don't know what's in there. You don't know that. You don't know that. Like, I'm like, I, I love that. I think that's a great idea. I, I, I think people need to be reminded more of what they don't know, especially, especially in something like finance where everyone thinks they know. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, they, they make a lot of dangerous decisions because of it. So uh, one of the first tracks on the Money Hammer thing, if you watch the video, which is like a, a PowerPoint, which I, I love, I think it's hilarious, a great way to make the lyrics clear to the, the viewer and listener. Um, it, it basically seems like there's like, you know, just a, a suggestion of like, you know, take care of your debt and then like sort of hold on to your money and like do good things with it that you'll like, feel good about in your life, like things that will bring you happiness. But, uh, you know, it's this kind of conservative, like get rich slowly type of scheme. And I'm wondering uh, what there is beyond that. And sorry, if you can fill in that explanation of how I described it. Sure. Uh, like the yeah, fundamentals. Yeah. yeah the, the, this, the scientific basis for that is it, it's in, it, you want to do it in Money Hammer chapters. It's the fourth one. It's the, the work that this guy named Jeremy Siegel has done, uh, which is that the, Something that people try to do a lot and we're not good at doing is predicting like short term movements in like stock prices and asset prices and, and all that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you, you can you can say that you, people try to come up with all these mathematical models to predict uh, which stocks are going to pop or which stocks are going to drop and what, over what time frame that's going to happen. And so, a lot of things work for a short time and then stop working or don't work at all. The, the, the one thing that we know is that over a long period of time, and Jeremy Siegel, in, in, he, he does this in a book called Stocks for the Long Run, which I recommend uh, everybody read. He, he, he comes up with a series of stock price data that goes all the way back to like the 1700s. So, he's still, yeah, so even before like really organized markets in this country, he comes up with like the closest thing he can come up with to like a general like stock market index. And what he shows is that as a body, like as a group of, as an as a, as a asset class is what it's called, um, stocks return on average something around like the number now is like 6.7% per 
per year. And which is not to say that like it does that every year. Like some years it goes up, some years it goes down, but over a long enough time period, stocks will return on average 6.7% per year. Um, and so this means that if you just, just little by little invest into the stock market, uh, the money, money that you can afford to do that with, money that you don't need for like buying food and buying your house and paying for your kids' college and stuff. If you can just consistently invest in the stock market over a long enough period of time, you will do okay. You might not, you might not get the 6.7% because maybe you live in a period where things are a little higher, you live in a period where things are a little lower, but on average, you will do okay. And that is that that is the scientific basis of all the all of these like finance blog articles you see like getting rich slowly and just investing a little bit at a time in in the stock market. Um, it's it's yeah it's 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 a it's it's not yeah people don't like the idea of like a not cool like it's like slow boring way of making money, but the alternative which is just taking a lot of risk to try and do it faster can go really, really wrong and can lose you a lot of money really quickly. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure there's people, yeah, there's definitely people who, are, who have done that. Um, so yeah, m money is not the place to do like fun, crazy, interesting things. Money is the place to do old, boring things. You don't totally mess yourself up. So that that's that's where the, the get rich slowly. and I can't I can't remember who came up with that phrase. I didn't invent that phrase. Get rich slowly, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, uh, but yeah, it's that that that's the attitude, and that's that's the reason that we tried to. Uh, when I was sort of starting to dip my toes into investment, my sister mentioned something about like you know because you're young, your risk tolerance should be higher. But like I don't think this, and uh, I've read. Like there's this utilitarian philosopher guy that I really like, and he basically says that altruists should be uh, totally like you know high risk uh, if they're going to be donating a huge amount of their money. Um, so I'm curious, how should uh, risk tolerance change with age? Well, so if, the, you know. it's interesting what you just said. The, the the conventional wisdom is that as you get older, your risk tolerance should go down because mm -hmm. yeah. So the this six point seven percent thing is why they say that young people. Uh, can invest can can take more risks because over oh yeah because stocks will tend yeah the, the term is mean revert stocks will eventually go back to this average return um, as long as you stay invested long enough you'll eventually get something darn close to that average return but the older you are the less time you have to make that happen um, the point you brought up about altruism is an interesting one and I I don't know I I would have to sit and think about how that would how that would throw a wrench in it's like yeah like what 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 is the way to maximize your good like like are, are are you potentially maximizing the good you can do by taking risk and making a whole potentially making a whole bunch of money um i think yeah the counter to that was you could lose a whole bunch of money and then mm -hmm. you have lost the money that you could use uh to do good with it um so yeah just just having thought about it for 10 seconds here I, I yeah, I would wonder whether a desire to like maximally give to charity would change uh, that investment advice. I don't think it would, but yeah, it's, I've, I've never I've never thought through that. It'd be interesting. 
yeah, I, I can send you the uh, the blog post that he did on it uh, after this. But uh, I mean, he's part of this like effective altruist community where it's like, you know, they're very scientifically or sort of analytically minded people that are just trying to uh, do like the most, you know, the empirically best that they can do to uh, improve the life of others and such. So it's you know, like malaria nets and stuff like that. Um, gotcha. Yeah, that's Peter, that's Peter Singer, right? Yeah, yeah, so in that uh, general uh, like world, yeah. Um, so uh, another sort of a name dropping term that I'm throwing here is Bayesian. So like I associate myself with sort of like card carrying Bayesian culture. Um, yeah. I'm not that mathematically literate to fully appreciate it, but I'm curious, uh, you know, are, are you a Bayesian instead of a frequentist? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, the idea of a Bayesian model. Yeah. It, it, were, were I to be able to use uh, a Bayesian model to whenever I had to make a model. Yeah. The, the idea that your prior assumptions should be revised based on the information coming in. Uh, yeah. I, 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 it's, it's stunning that people uh, would have a problem with that. I think, I think the problem comes in, in implementation, like in, in actual practice where it can be hard to think of exactly how you should change a given mathematical model, given what is coming in. So, like, yeah, like I'll, 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 I, this this happens on my job where yeah, I, I've I've thought of wanting to do that kind of thing uh, in the work I do. Where yeah, you you've got like a big, you've got a big company like GE or something like that, where you've sold them you've sold them a liability insurance policy or whatever you sold it to them, um, and you did that because. X, Y, and Z. And then they have two big insurance losses. Like, what should their price be the next year? Um, the, the, the way we do that in practice is all, there's all kinds of ways we do that in practice, but they tend to be like very simple. We tend to just like take some average of like what actually happened and like what you thought would happen and just kind of pick a weight using some kind of justification. But yeah, like a, a proper Bayesian model would be to take whatever like probability framework you use to make your first pick and now you've got these two numbers coming in and you have to like properly revise that probability framework um that's that's often hard to do uh so yeah the the idea of bayesian thinking is excellent the difficulty of implementing it in doing uh modeling uh can be pretty high but so that that's that's where the problems come in I mentioned this to a friend once and uh, he basically was like, yeah, I just love mentioning Bayesianism around or like Bayesian, uh, yeah, I guess, ism around people and seeing how their like eyes perk up, like if they're uh, in that world. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, I'm curious, uh, before we move on to some music stuff, do you have any uh, hot takes on cryptocurrency? Like, uh, is that something that you, uh, like, do you have the sort of Warren Buffett, like this is rat poison attitude or... <laughs> Well, I, 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 I don't, uh, I, I don't invest in it. And I, I don't think normal people should invest in it, but it, no, it's not for any awesome, clever reason. It just, it, yeah, it, it falls outside of the kinds of activities that I think people should be engaging in, which is to, yeah, to take these like big old boring asset classes like stocks and bonds and just, and just broadly allocate what money you can into them based on how old you are and what your risk tolerance. So cryptocurrency is a total, it falls into this giant bucket of other, with like, like gold and alternative investments and real estate and all kinds of other things like wine and art and other things you could invest in. Um, but 
uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's like all those things. Like we just don't have this multi-hundred-year body of information saying like this is generally going to work out. We have no idea how this is going to work out, which is not, which is not to say I'm I'm sure it's not going to work out. Like, I mean, anyone who got into it early is won the the nerd lottery and is doing is, is doing great. And there's no and like the problem as as much as I can come up with my like my thoughtful critical response, like you kind of have to shut up when someone makes a whole bunch of money on the thing. But no, I I I don't think a normal I don't think it's something a normal person should mess with. Yes, uh, except like yeah, with, with any with anything like that, I mean, view it if you want to view it as a hobby and spend the amount of money on it that you would spend on buying whatever you would buy for your hobby, whether yeah, whether it's a new snowboard or or a car or guitars or video games. If you want to spend that money, that that kind of amount of money on cryptocurrency because it, it's fun to you, then sure. And if you if you get rich off of it great and if you don't then well you were going to spend that money on something else anyway so yeah as as a as a pastime as an activity sure as a as a something to put into an investment plan i don't think we're there yet do you feel like uh i mean like i know that like the ethereum people and all that they have like a ton of uh, technical innovations and i'm curious if any of that bleeds into like the more traditional uh, uh financial scene well, yeah, everyone, it, it's it's very trendy to talk about uh, blockchain, the, the technology that underlies uh, at least Bitcoin, if not all of them. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's very trendy to talk about blockchain. And yeah, a lot of like big foreign consulting firms are doing talks on blockchain and how it's going to change the financial industry. I'm pretty sure that most people don't know what it is. I definitely couldn't explain it. Like I've seen, I've seen, I've read, I've tried to read explainers of how, of what a blockchain is like at least five times, if not like mm-hmm. 10 times, I still don't think I understand what it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, 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 it sounds like a complicated thing that somehow makes Bitcoin work and it sounds like it could be used for other financial applications. Um, but no, yeah, like I, I, I definitely have anecdotes of like some manager like asking a consultant to like, like give it like, and give us a blockchain like we want a blockchain like and they're like what and they're like well we know we're supposed to have one like it's really important and they're like hold on and they have to explain that it only does certain things but no yeah it's yeah so there is probably promise there but i think there's a lot of uh i think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is i definitely misunderstand um, but I mean, I suppose that if you are doing it, uh, some of the general principles of like, uh, you know, getting rich slowly, like, I, I guess in that world, it's called hodling. Uh, that's probably still the move, like holding on for dear life. What, what, what's the, the, the term? The... Uh, hodl, H-O-D-L, uh, like hold on for dear life. Oh, I did. I've never heard that. That's clever. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was starting to like investigate it a few years ago, uh, the the tax thing was still like a little bit ambiguous. And then they were just like, "You're gonna have to like you know spend hours filling out this tax stuff uh, if you want to you know, make money on crypto." Um, <clears throat> and so everybody's like, "You know, hodling is the best thing because that affects the taxes in a way, or like uh, it, you know you don't get uh, you know fucked with the taxes as much." And uh, is, I think that's the same sort of uh, compounding over time type thing. But anyway, right. um, I like that term. Uh, I never heard that. It's great. Yeah, it's a good ring to it. Uh, so let's talk about some music stuff. Uh, so it looks like among your guitars, you have an Ormsby, is that right? 
the yeah i have i have two orms booths i have uh so yeah i have my the i have their uh black friday custom um it, well, yeah it's like one of their like poser level customs where like they rather than just make one of them they make like 10 of them so you can save a little money on the custom month then i have their goliath their headless one um I, I really like the way they feel with the uh, fan fret uh, designs on them. Um, and yeah, they have like an extended scale length on like the lower string. So you get nasty, nasty uh, uh, low chug metal sounds out of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I, I have way too many guitars and I've used a lot of different guitars on the Money Hammer stuff. The the album was played on a, on a ESP2 Viper Baritone um, that I, I, I really liked. And, yeah, I sold it after that just because I played it too much to make the album. I kind of just got sick of playing it. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Uh, some of the other tracks, uh, I have like a Schechter bear. I, I love Schechter guitars. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as someone who loved metal in the 2000s, I, I love Schechter guitars. <laughs> so I, I, have, I, just, yeah, I, I just think of Attack Attack videos whenever I, I think of Schechter guitars. And uh, so I have a Schechter baritone I really like. Um, I have uh, an LTD Viper, just a regular scale Viper uh, with um, an Evertune that I used for one of the other tracks. Uh, so yeah, I've used a lot of different stuff on them. Yeah, I, I've, I have more guitars than I need to to, to make Money Hammer. Um, and yeah, if, if anything, like doing Money Hammer has made me realize that like as as much as I thought, as much as I thought that like having all these like unique special guitars would allow me to have like a lot of unique special sounds like. I, I always kind of sound like myself no matter what, what I'm playing. So I, I probably yeah. don't need so many guitars, but it's still, it's still fun to have them. Um, I asked this question as somebody who's recently sort of become a seven string advocate uh, after recently getting one. Uh, but you know, now I'm a card carrying uh, Bayesian seven string player. Uh, why, why not a seven string instead of a baritone? Um, it's no good reason. Uh, I think, I think it's just conventional. Like I, I, I never had a, so the, the only motivation I had in my life of guitar playing to play seven string like, was I was a big Unearth fan and they use seven mm. strings. And so I had some crappy seven strings just so I could play Unearth riffs. Um, but I've never been like, yeah, I, I've never been in a band that used them. I've never like sat and written a whole bunch of riffs on them. Uh, and so, no, there's, there's no good reason. I think it's just what I've fallen into. Um, I do, I, I do think. I do think one feels more metal playing a seven string. Like you just have a, a larger like thing to swing around and just that you're just larger device that you're using to make these riffs. It, it feels cool, but no, I've, I've always been perfectly fine just down tuning a, a regular six string. Cool. Um, and so it seems like you're using amp sim simulators, right? For the record. That, that's correct. Um, yeah. So everything but the album is, is software it's uh, a bunch of neural dsp plugins the album was done with uh with uh the one of the crappiest uh amp sims you could use it's, it's done with a behringer v amp which you, you, if you're familiar with the line six pod you know that terrible terrible mm -hmm. red like, red thing yeah yeah this is the knockoff of that. it's even worse than that <laughs> but like but i knew that like joe again the 2000s metal like I know that Joey Sturgis, who produced you know, like Attack Attack and Devil Wears Prada and all those, and like Oceano and all those like deathcore bands from that time, uh, his tones were mostly Line Six Pod, is my understanding. And so I had this thing of like, I'm going to find like a fun guitar tone, 
Yeah, like one of the models, I think it's their model of like a Soldano. Uh, I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I can work with this. So yeah, that that nasty fake distortion on the album is a, uh, it's a Behringer V1. It's a knockoff of a Line Six Five. But yeah, um, I've I've always been perfectly fine with not real amps. I mean, yeah, guitar amps are wonderful, um, but the practicality of of one recording them and two recording them well uh is is there's a lot of like i don't doubt that some talented producer could get a better guitar sound with a real amp than with an amp sim. it's whether i could get a better guitar sound with a real amp than with an amp sim. and mm -hmm. uh that that i'm i'm less convinced so yeah i feel like the only thing i always worry about missing out uh with using an amp simulator is like not getting the full feedback type thing you know like if i want to like let it ring out for 30 seconds before a song but you know I'll get That's true. That yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if you if you've had to do this, but yeah, you can come up with ridiculous situations. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll turn on a real amp just to like overdub feedback, or like you like plug in your like Logitech computer speakers and like try to get mm -hmm. it to feedback from there. Yeah, there's you end up doing ridiculous things there. No, you're right about that. You are right about that. Uh, so I, I saw that on the like somewhere on the cover it said something like uh, you know ignorant riffs, which is I think a really funny way to describe it because like death metal like. The vibe is totally ignorant sometimes like i think of like devourment and like yes. it's just like so yeah. campy and absurd um and you know compared to black metal which is like a different volume like that's like just sinister um i'm not sure if did you are you into black metal as well or is it more of you're like aligned with death metal or yeah, stylistically i have not been ever been the biggest black metal person and, and again it just it falls to habit like this this stuff that my friends in high school like put in front of me to listen to was not black metal and so i just never became a big black metal person Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah the, the ignorant riff thing yeah I, I definitely like all the the slam bands like super super ridiculous uh uh end of death metal i i, I love listening to that stuff like and i i think i actually would have made money hammer more like that if i knew how like that that's super ignorant like ringy snare sound i've all i've been chasing that sound for you and i've I, i've not found the samples that get me there <laughs> like the, mm -hmm. the production techniques that that get you there like i love 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 that sound so much um and yeah I, 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 yeah another flavor that again like the the, the 2000s deathcore bands like the the like job for a cowboy and like early white chapel and uh oceano and those, those kinds of things like I, I will always love that stuff you, that even though yeah it was critically panned when it came out and i don't think it's I think I think people are starting to come around to it now, but uh, uh, yeah, they 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 never I don't I, didn't, I they never got the appreciation I feel they deserve. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, so my buddy Charlie did this video about like the unavoidable evil of uh, black metal, and you know how like if you like black metal, you have to come to terms that like there's somebody somewhere burning a church and like, you know, like uh, murdering somebody for, you know, being gay or something that's awful and uh, how that's sort of baked into the music. And I feel like I was not listening to metal for a long time just because I was like, oh yeah, like this is like violent and like, you know, problematic as they say these days. And like, you know, you're a vegetarian, I see, and you know, I I'm a vegan as well. And so like, uh it's sort of like weird to be aligned with something that's so like violent is there ever a part of you that thinks about that or are you just into the campiness like sort of like in, in being into a horror movie 
Yeah, I, I definitely think about it. I, I think I, I've thought about it more with black metal than with death metal. Yeah, especially when all the like American black metal bands were starting to get big, like Wolves in the Throne Room and like Death Heaven and like, and yeah, and, and just people who had not thought about the the origin of this sound were just starting to listen to it. And and yeah, I, I would try and point out like you guys realize like the people who made this sound were terrible, terrible people like all the second wave Norwegian bands. Um, and uh, yeah, but you bring up a good point that like I think certainly I have not been as critical of the role of of, of the imagery and attitudes of death metal like I have of black metal. Um, and it, yeah, so if, if I wanted to justify it, I would say that because it's it's more dumb, it's more absurd. It's like mm-hmm. so it's so obviously exaggerated that it uh, that it, it's 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 almost guaranteed to be taken as a joke. That that would be what I would try to say. Whether that's a defensible argument, uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure of that. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I, th- I think you could also go band by band. Like, yeah, there, there, there's some, some of the bands are clearly uh, kidding less than other bands are kidding. Yeah. Um, you can start and you can get vibes off of that and see who is more of a problem than other bands are. But no, you, you bring up a good point. Like, and yeah, if anything, like death metal about personal finance perfectly yeah, get, gets away from that. So. Maybe that maybe that's where more death metal should go in the future. Yeah, I feel like you know, with like Michael Jackson and R. Kelly, a lot of people you know have this music that they really love, and then like now it's like you aren't supposed to listen to it. And so like you know, with certain bands, like I remember reading something about like Death Spell Omega, and I was like, oh shit, do I have to not listen to them now? And I mean, that's kind of like a, a weird way to think about it, but uh, it's, it's just being you know, unfortunate. But um, and I think th- for me, this comes up. Yeah, it's it's the line. Be- where what is the line between like an R. Kelly and so then to like a Led Zeppelin with what they did with their group, or like a David Bowie who know we know statutorily raped people. And yeah, like uh, yeah, one one thing I've one way I've thought about it is yeah, we, we, you bring up the vegetarian veganism. And yeah, like you you could get incredibly outraged about anything that concern about about any person or thing that concerns meat eating but yeah how productive an activity would that be like would you yeah one you you would drive yourself crazy and you would probably not change many minds and make much of a difference for the better um yeah is that a reason to not do that i don't i don't know but that, that that's that's the kind of thing that i think about yeah and I guess my sort of way out of this is that I've been trying to associate more with like grindcore. Like I've always liked like Pig Destroyer so much, and like sonically, there's so much similarity. Or, like there's you know a lot of similarities between Pig Destroyer and like a death metal thing. It's just maybe like a little bit rawer, like a little bit less technical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like politically, that scene seems a little bit more like you know aligned with like punk, where it's like you know it, they're more inclined to be like political or something instead of uh, just like singing about eating babies and stuff uh so i I guess that's my way out is to just claim that i'm a grindcore person (laughs) that's interesting yeah yeah. i where i've wanted like yeah that that scene uh has well yeah maybe it's more black metal that does it but like yeah i i i I had a sense that that scene sometimes overwhelmed overlapped with like national socialist uh 
black metal kinds of beeps and yeah that like that that power violence sound sometimes got into like weird like uh white supremacist stuff oh, really yeah i've seen but uh but no as i say that i'm trying to think of an example of that and am not able to so i could be mistaken there yeah, I, in my mind, there were like very black anarcho vibes. Okay. But, um, yeah, I might I, maybe I have to get back to associating to death metal. Um, so I, I sent you uh, like some of like a demo for my grindcore project, Eliminativist. And uh, so I try to use like this like kind of uh, homegrown math stuff that um, is like largely running on random number generators. And I'm curious. Uh, if you like use the mathematical mindset or any sort of math going into your music, like, you know, writing riffs, like in terms of coming up with like, sort of like the sets of notes that you use, um, do you think about that in like a theoretical way, like music theory or um, just kind of like totally by feel or? Sure, yeah, I took a listen to your project and yeah, it's, 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 really, it's, it's really clever and really, it's really wild to hear what comes out of it. What it made me think of was, uh, I don't know if you, you know about this, but it's, it's called like Databots or something like that. It's a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're using an AI to write death metal. <laughs> it's just constantly like just an infinite death metal song uh, that's written with uh, machine learning. Um, and no, I, I, don't, I don't think I have, uh, no, I certainly have never deliberately like used uh, like a mathematical approach to write Rift. But I think what something like that reveals is how formulaic your genre is. <laughs> that like, like, oh, if an AI can just like basically like take random bits of the music and arrange it randomly, it sounds a lot like something that um, that a, a death metal band would have written. That, that's kind of funny. So yeah, yeah. if anything, like yeah, that, that I, I've, I've tried to. If, if anything, I try to. Uh, consciously avoid that and bring if anything like uh, i can't think of another way to say it but pop sensibility to my songwriting where like mm -hmm. i think a lot of technical death metal bands will just i've heard it called riff salad which is here's a riff here's a riff here's a riff here's a riff put them together there's a song like who, who cares what riffs they are and like <laughs> no I, I will try to the to to the extent that you can have them in the genre i will try and have hooks like i'll try or whatever the metal equivalent of a hook is like a riff that like is catchy enough and that like comes back in some ways or that like comes back in, in some like slightly modified way so that the listener's like, oh, that's kind of fun what happened there. Um, and I'll, yeah, like there's not really like too much uh, dynamics in death metal, but there is uh, speed variation. So I'll try and like create tension and release through like slowing down and like having something kick in fast again. Um, so yeah, I, I try not to <laughs> write music that an AI could have written uh but yeah it, it, that kind of thing uh it's 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 kind of funny what it says about about uh death metal <laughs> that you can get away with doing something like that do you uh do you just like write your wrists and like sort of memorize them or do you put them in like a, a tab program or a notation or anything like that I'll, I'll write them with uh, the, the recording app on my phone I'll just yeah in front of my crappy little practice amp when I'm like practicing and I come up with something I'm like oh I could use that later just put my phone in front of it and record it and yeah and, and the, I think anyone who does that the problem is the names of all of them it's like like chug riff one chug riff two like chug riff three and, and then you go back and like oh man what am I getting <laughs> so uh I, I, I've been told that there are uh apps that will help you organize that stuff but I think yeah the, the, the phone recording app seems to do okay there's worse things than having to re-listen to all your chug riffs.
do you typically uh, start with the guitar stuff or do you like program drums first ever or what's that process like? Writing wise, I'll write the riffs first. Um, yeah, as far as the like composition, but yeah, then as far as the like actual like creation of the music, the drums have to get programmed first before you can record anything. Or yeah, otherwise you would have to record the riffs to a click, and that would be that that's, that that would probably result in a different feel than recording them over the actual drum parts. The other thing, and this is something that um, Ola England, who runs like a Metal Gear review channel, is that Willa Chug guy? Was that? He's the Willet Chug guy. Yes, yeah, yeah. He does the Willet yeah. Chug series. I, I, I adore him. He's wonderful. Uh, he, he has said, and I, I, this was, this was uh, great to have, um, have discovered from him. Is uh, you don't know whether a riff is good or not until you have sorted out what the drums are underneath it. Like a lot of, like epic awesome metal riffs are really very basic guitar parts, but it's the accompanying drums that have made them really classic metal riffs. Um, so until you've settled on what your drums are under riff, you don't know what your riff is and you don't know whether your riff is good or not yet. So yeah, I, li I like trying to come up with the drums and hear that and then be like, okay, yeah, that's part of the song, yeah. Cool. Um, what else are you listening to these days in terms of metal or anything else? Uh, what did I listen to recently? Um, oh, what did I just put on? Oh, it's, it's not a, this is, the, there's a slam metal, so yeah, the slam metal is like one of the more ignorant kinds of uh, death metal. <laughs> there's a Instagram account called uh, Slam Worldwide, and they, they have a Spotify playlist that's just wall to wall, just ignorant, ignorant, heavy stuff, and I, I've, I've been enjoying it recently. Um, I, I, I'm ashamed to say that, yeah, I, if you ask me to name a band from it, like, I couldn't do that, because it's sort of not the at least in, right. in, for me, it's not the point. It's that, yeah, it's, yeah, someone has put together this, has curated this collection of just incredibly ignorant uh, slam metal. Um, so I've been listening to that a lot recently. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is the place to talk about it, but I, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> and so uh, the fact that I, I got two Taylor Swift albums this year uh, is something I was really happy about. So I've been listening to those, uh, just wall-to-wall -wall bangers, as, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, Interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the Carcass EP that came out in 2020, I really liked that. Um, what did I try? Uh, I, I, yeah, I've been trying to like fill in gaps in my like metal, not like there, there are like, classic metal albums like death albums that i still haven't heard and like atheist albums that i still haven't heard just because i didn't buy them as a kid mm -hmm. uh so just trying to totally fill in like gaps in my like metal listening that uh that should be filled but uh yeah that's 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 i'm kind of all over the place this stuff does the sort of like technical stuff do anything for you yeah, to, to some extent, I love Archspire. If you if you're familiar with them, um, the Canadian band from Vancouver, but they're they're one of the more virtuosic tech bands, um, and uh, yeah, I, re I really like them. Just because yeah, they, they're super super tech, but they're also good songwriters, and yeah, the, the kinds of things we talked about where they, they try and have good songwriting practices, There's hooks and all the tech stuff and the vocals are just as techy as everything else and go appropriately uh with everything um 
but no, not, yeah, not too, too many tech fans, you know, like, so I, I think that stuff can get into the riff salad uh, kind of thing that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the, the last few things I'll ask you, I guess, are just about other uh, sort of media diet stuff for you. Uh, in terms of like uh, financial reading, uh, are there books that you suggest or blogs that you suggest uh, sort of like personalities that you think are interesting to follow? Yeah, the, so the, the the guy I mentioned when we were talking about the the money hammer stuff, uh, Jeremy Siegel, his his classic book that he just keeps updating like every few years is called Stocks for the Long Run. Uh, the, yeah, definitely recommend that to anyone who like wants to understand the, the kinds of stuff that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, as, as far as like first investment books, like it, it's 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 a book that has an agenda, but it's also a good uh, intro. Is is is, is this book called um, A Random Walk Down Wall Street? It's by this guy named Burton Malkiel, M-A-L-K-I-E-L, -E I believe. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's arguing about a very specific concept in, in like finance theory, but in order to do it, he does like a broad intro of like thinking about finance that uh, I think is really helpful and I think is one of the better introductions to it. Um, trying to think of other stuff. It, it's, it, no, go ahead. I noticed that you have a few uh, like singles that are like basically like comments on like Bloomberg articles. Uh, do you read Tyler Cowen or um, Noah Smith at all? I'm not familiar with them. No, where where do they where do they put their work? Um, I'm more familiar with Tyler Cowen, but he writes a lot of opinion articles for Bloomberg. Uh, but then he has like Marginal Revolution, which is like a, an economics blog that teaches economics. Um, Noah Smith, I'm not as familiar with, but he's just like somebody I follow on Twitter who. Uh, seems to have a bunch of hot takes on things. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, just curious, uh, they meant anything to you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, like, in, in, yeah, as far as, like, commenters or, like, podcasters, I, I, don't, I, I couldn't name a finance person that I'm, like, a big follower of. Yeah, the, the songs about the articles were just, yeah, it was just something across, that came across my Twitter feed or something like that. And I, I just remember thinking, like, I don't disagree with that. I, sh I should write, write a song about that. I'm like, oh, well, I can actually do that now. Like, that's that's what I guess that's what I'll do. That's <laughs> that's the project. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I, I think, I, I may, yeah, again, maybe it's my bias more towards like big old boring stuff when it comes to finance. Like, I, I still love big old classic books when it comes to thinking about what to do with your money. Cool. Well, um, I feel like that's most of what I wanted to ask you. Um, so uh, you got the albums. Where can people find that? Bandcamp? Is that the best place? Yeah. So uh, I might say the best place to check the stuff out is on the YouTube with the, uh, the, with the lyric videos, which are PowerPoint presentations. Mm -hmm. um, I, I should say, yeah, not, going back to like where when I was thinking of this, like it was fun when when I thought of the idea for this, like it just the idea like solved all kinds of problems. Uh, so like I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do death metal art. I can't draw like awesome death metal stuff. I'm like, oh, but if it's like finance theme, like the death, the art would be like something an HR department, an HR department would do. Um, and I'm like, well, I can't make lyric videos. I don't know anything about that. I'm like, oh, but if it were a finance company, they would do it with PowerPoint. So I'll just do it with PowerPoint. And so, yeah, it was interesting how like, the, the the idea solved a lot of problems that I had. But yeah, so the, the, I, I think it's fun for people to check it out on YouTube for the first time so they see what the lyrics are. Um, but yeah, it's available on Bandcamp also. Uh, and then I'm on all the major streaming services, so on Spotify, Apple Music, and uh, all that. Um, but yeah, uh, really glad that people are 
seeming to enjoy it and getting out there to some people and that people are entertained and possibly informed by it. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I feel like if you uh, didn't have the videos with the lyrics, then like, you know, I might not know that's about finance, but uh, it's the music on its own is great. So yeah, it's very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you for finding it respectable death metal. <laughs> that's what I, I strive for it to make at least uh, half decent death metal uh, for, for to, to, to convey the personal finance message. Have you gotten a sense from anybody who listens to it, like uh, if they've actually like uh, sort of like been going into it for the finance reasons, like how have people engaged with that? Uh, th there's been a handful of people that, that I, I think the people who engage with most of people who get like both sides of it, who kind of like get the joke, like why it's, it's kind of funny. The, yeah. the, the most uh, prominent person who reached out to me was uh, um, Tom Draper from Carcass. Uh, so mm -hmm. not, not, not the, uh, not the, not Bill Steer. Yeah. Not, not the guitarist that's uh, been with Carcass for um, all of their history, but one of the, the newer members of Carcass. I guess his uh, wife works in finance, uh, so he got he, he he like he got the joke and like understood what I was doing and thought that was a, was good. Um, uh, the blog Invisible Oranges, uh, <laughs> one of their writers put me on their top ten metal albums of twenty twenty list. Um, so yeah, so, sort of saying that like yeah, it's 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 uh, interesting because it's about personal finance, but. The death metal is uh, respectable, <laughs> so I, I was uh, honored to get that from them. Um, but no, like the, I think I think more of the audience is coming from the metal community than the finance community. I, I, I think it's it's like any other kind of extreme genre of music where when when you play it to an outsider, like they're not like like uh, it's, it's not even a matter of whether they like or don't like it. They just don't quite know what's going on. Um, yeah they'll be like why why is the person why is there no singing like why is there what is that voice like if you've never heard the cookie monster voice like the extreme metal voice mm -hmm. you just don't have you just don't have a context for understanding like why a person would be doing that um so i have gotten a lot less attention from finance people uh being like wow this is an interesting way to present finance it's more from metal people being like wow that's a funny thing to use death metal for is the dream to sort of like uh, hear from somebody who's a listener who has like said like, oh, hey, Mark, I paid off my debt and like now I have like, you know, 6.7% returns. Uh, is that the dream? Well, I, I think the dream is if people would be like, wow, I have, yeah, I, I avoided doing something really re reckless because of you. Like I was going to, I was going to YOLO all my money on Tesla options or something like that in, in Robin Hood. And instead I just, bought some it bought some of the index fund and i didn't i didn't lose all my money <laughs> um that that would be yeah that's a goal. i mean a, a, another goal i have would would be uh to get sponsorship from like a big old boring financial like yeah like some big old brokerage company like vanguard or something like that um because yeah i, I think one of the reason that young one of the reasons that young people are using alternative investment platforms like Robinhood is the big old boring investment platforms haven't bothered to reach out to young people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if they, if they would realize that there's ways to do that, uh, they could have more success there. And yeah, I, I would love to be a way of encouraging young people to do more boring things with their money. Very cool. Well, uh, that uh, sounds good to me.
Um, I think uh, we can end this here then. Uh, thanks for joining me, Mark. This has been a fun chat. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I, I've enjoyed talking as well. And yeah, uh, look forward to speaking sometime in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, let me know when you uh, put out the next record. All right, sounds good. Thanks, John. Yeah, adios.